0: Good morning everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. Handful stuff we're going to get into in a world of baseball sports and unifying America. And if you could kind of see where we're at in this late September day, it's not a ton of stuff to get into in a world of sports. You got the NFL season, which is off to a good start. You know, if you're a Giants fan, you like what happened last week with Daniel Jones getting the start and leading the team to victory. Kyle Allen, nice job with the Carolina Panthers, kind of went under the radar. And maybe this year, as we're in the 2019 season going into 2020, could be the year of the young quarterback. Maybe something we thought that we would have seen last year. Of course, you got the baseball pennant races kind of coming to a crescendo. But today would probably not be the best day to preview What we're going to expect in a couple of series that we don't even know who's going to be playing in them. There's still a little bit of hope for a couple teams in Major League Baseball. Certainly the Cleveland Indians very much in the mix. But today on the outside looking in, a team that could win 95 games and miss the playoffs. But the bottom line is as we get closer to next Thursday, you know, next Wednesday after the two wildcard games are played, We could probably do some better previews, but today, being one of those days that there ain't a whole ton of things to talk about, might actually open the door to get into some of the bigger issues that are going on, not just with the world of sports, but with social media and society. So we're going to try, if we can, in this filibuster, i got a handful of topics we're going to jump into, and we're going to try to find time to go over with something that I really feel has changed When we come to trying to decipher the difference between fact and fiction. When we're trying to decipher the difference between being right and being wrong. It seems like you could be wrong and still find a way that you're right. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, Got NFL picks coming up in a little bit. We're going to limit it to what's less than the U2 song. Um, You know, the the voice of Johnny Ramone. So we're going to get that. Down to less than four minutes where we'll go over five picks that, you know, we're going to endorse for next week. And we'll see what ends up happening. Record right now, 10 wins, eight losses over three weeks. Three extra games in the first two weeks, but we're keeping it down to five. So the easiest thing to say is you're seeing what has come to an end in a season when we're talking about Philadelphia baseball and the Phillies. And pretty soon, probably tonight, you're gonna find out that the Mets season is officially over. They got games to play, but their opportunity to get to the postseason is completely non-existent. Yes, the Mets, if they somehow win the next five games and the Milwaukee Brewers lose the next five, then there's a chance. And you think of Jim Carrey's character in Dumb and Dumber, and you say, so there's a chance. It's basically that kind of chance. So what are you gonna to gravitate towards? If you are a fan, what are you going to go into next and say is the most important thing that needs to be done? And once again, I'm going to tell you how not important it is and how much it does not matter in the grand scheme of things in the way a baseball team is run right now. And you think you think you're such a good fan. You think you're so knowledgeable as a fan. You think you know everything there is to know about your favorite sports team. And then you start talking about the manager, like the manager really is the one that's going to be the difference between your team winning and your team losing. And that could be a discussion all by itself. And I'm okay to have that discussion. I'm not going to have that specific discussion right now. The aspect of it, which I've continued to drill out there on my show and throughout social media, is the role that the manager has in the game right now in 2019. If you fire just the manager, you're still leaving a lot of problems and a lot of inaccurate and incorrect decisions that are being made over the course of the game. These decisions that we tend to blame just on the manager. We don't blame any on the coaching staff. We don't blame any on the front office. We don't blame any on the analytics staff. We want to blame solely the manager for every decision that incorrect over the course of a baseball game. And when a manager is there in a press conference, Basically taking responsibility for everything, we think that that's the clarity that we need to understand that the manager is the one making every single decision over the course of a baseball game. But a manager in 2019 is just going to be a puppet. That's all he's ever going to be. He's going to be the voice of the team. He may not like his voice, but the bottom line is once his voice is gone and somebody else's voice is put into that spot, that proverbial chair that basically puppet to be moved around by the string of the front office and the analytics staff, you as the fan are going to be just as critical of the next manager as you are with the one that you have. Because there's nothing that's going to change in regards to the philosophy of the team, which is coming from the front office and the analytics staff. And There's still many people for whatever reason just are refusing to grasp that concept and They're going to be very disappointed when we find out next Monday and next Tuesday and towards the end of the week when the New York Mets and Philadelphia Phillies will make the same decision independently, but are going to say the same exact thing. The Mets are going to say that Mickey Calloway is returning to the Mets bench for the 2020 season. The Philadelphia Phillies are going to say That they are going to return manager Gabe Kapler to his post as the major league manager in 2020. Now I'm not breaking any news here in fact I'm going to tell you right now I don't have any inside ties to either the New York Mets or the Philadelphia Phillies but I'm going on the hunch that I have and the understanding that I have of the role of a major league manager in 2019 and If the decision is, hey, why did things go wrong, the Mets aren't going to say the front office did everything they were supposed to do. The analytics staff provided the best game plans possible. The coaching staff around Mickey Callaway provided all the best information, and Mickey Callaway was the one that screwed it up. I understand that that's what the fans think, but it's not true. It's a collective effort. If the Mets decide to fire Callaway, basically, they're going to say, They're going to be saying that Callaway is the one responsible for everybody else's decisions. And I can't wait to see him and Gabe Kapler if for some reason and eventually, obviously at some point, they are going to lose their job. The percentage of managers in Major League Baseball that get to go out on their own terms is less than 1%. So at some point, they're going to be fired. But not this offseason. And once that happens, once those official statements are put out there, and as much people are probably hating me for saying this, particularly Mets fans, just throw, throw, me, throw me the positive shade of being right. Because the bottom line is, when it comes to the construction of the decision-making process, when we like to blame major league managers for just about everything that doesn't go right, and we get the affirmations in our own head when the manager is basically answering questions about things that didn't go right, Understand that there's no manager in Major League Baseball that never says it wasn't me, but we know analytics exist in the game. We know analytics are determining all these decisions. So every manager in Major League Baseball says it's 100% me, but we know the analytics are running the game. So we know that that puppet that we have in front of ourselves as the media after the game ends every single day is just telling us what we want to hear. Is just telling the media exactly what the front office wants them to say. That's the role that you have. You're here to take all the blame. You're not here to make all the decisions, but you're here to take every last bit of the blame. And fans continue to misconstrue that for the fact that the manager is making anything more than just an occasional decision. And that occasional decision will very seldom impact whether a team wins or loses. And when we continue to throw out there and say, hey, a good manager is worth this, a bad manager is worth this, take all that garbage and throw it out the window because it's not true anymore. There's no manager single-handedly that's winning games or losing games anymore. It's the collaborative effort led by the front office, led by the analytics staff, led by text messages and you know earpieces and calls from the clubhouse that are happening all the time, but just aren't getting caught. And I promise you, when we start to see interior cameras put in to catch certain things happening that shouldn't be happening, that may be against the rules of Major League Baseball, maybe you'll start to realize that a manager of Major League Baseball does not make decisions. So like I said, this is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com. Anything that's on your mind in the world of baseball sports at Unify in America. We'll throw up some of the comment feeds if you want. Um, you want to comment now on Facebook Live. You could comment on Periscope. You could also give the show a call. The number is 732 364 3598. That's 732 364 3598. Just a reminder this copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights. About a world wide web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or the use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of the show without the express written consent of the past ball show, JohnPLA.com, and JohnPLA LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or the use of the program, such as by charging admission for a showing, is similarly prohibited. So we think of a perfect game in Major League Baseball, and one of them stands out that You know, we'll never be credited for a perfect game, but you can agree that the closest thing to a perfect game that isn't going to go into the record books was Ernie Shore's perfect game, which he got by not retiring a batter. I'm sorry, that, that he came into a game, retired 27 straight batters in relief of Babe Ruth, And was not credited with a perfect game because Babe Ruth walked the first batter of the game, got thrown out of the game arguing with the umpire, and because even though Ernie Shore retired the next 27 batters, it was not a perfect game. But we think now, with the game changing as much as it is, we think that there could be more variations of what we call a perfect game. And I'll tell you, you think of certain things in baseball, whether it's Joe DiMaggio's 56 game hitting streak, whether it's... You know, Pete Rose's all-time hit record. It's going to be very hard for anybody to catch that. Johnny Vandermeer's two no-hitters in a row. Nobody will ever throw three in a row. But one of the things that's becoming harder and harder to do that stands out amongst what is amongst the best to view and to see in baseball history is a perfect game. And a perfect game is getting harder to pitch because pitchers are not pitching deep enough in the games. And... A lot of people will say that there'll be a little bit of an argument over what a perfect game is and what a perfect game isn't over the course of the future. We almost saw at least some discussion about the possibility of one being thrown the other day when the Brewers were playing the Pittsburgh Pirates. And the Brewers, you know, employing the opener, which meant that they were definitely going to a reliever over the course of the game probably going to use multiple relievers to get themselves through nine innings. Well, it went into the sixth inning. The Pittsburgh Pirates had not gotten a base runner. So we're talking about multiple pitchers in a game and the possibility, and of course it always exists once you get into the sixth inning. Obviously, it's more of a big deal when you get into the seventh. It's more of a big deal when you get into the eighth. But the sixth inning is when you start to think about the possibility of a no-hitter. And certainly if a team has not gotten a player on base, if a pitcher or multiple pitchers have not allowed a base runner into the seventh inning or through the sixth inning or almost through the sixth inning, we start to really believe that something is happening. Now, in that case, nothing was happening because the way I define a perfect game really should be the way that a perfect game should be defined in Major League Baseball. We start with a complete game which obviously would eliminate a chance for anybody to throw a perfect game that did not throw a complete game. Uh, obviously, a shutout would need to be a shutout. A complete game, a shutout. A no-hitter, and then a perfect game. All those things have to be happening at the same time. Obviously, you can't throw a perfect game if you give up a run. You can't throw a perfect game if you give up a base runner, but you also can not throw a perfect game if you if you. Pitch more than one pitcher. You don't pitch a complete game. It can't be a perfect game. And that's why the 23 perfect games that have been thrown in Major League Baseball history are one of the more sacred things that have happened within a game that we could say, hey, a lot of things aren't sacred. No home run records, The a lot of the power numbers that we're seeing in Major League Baseball just aren't what we used to, we're used used to seeing. The 150 years of Major League Baseball probably hasn't been played on the same playing field. So there's things that you saw in the beginning time of baseball, and things that you see right now that just aren't on the same level. But one of the things that has been the most fascinating and interesting amongst the 150 years of Major League Baseball has been a perfect game. The first perfect game was thrown in 1880 by Lee Richmond. The second was by, by John Montgomery Ward. And we've seen 21 other pitchers over the course of Major League Baseball history have done something that very few have ever been able to do. That's why you look at a guy like Philip Humber or Len Barker or Charlie Robertson or, you know, Felix Hernandez or Matt King, Kenny Rogers, Roy Halladay, Dennis Martinez, Mark Burley, you know, Tom Browning, Mike Witt. You think of all these different pitchers, and some of them are all-time greats. You can talk about Addy Joss. You can talk about Cy Young. You know, Don Larson's in the World Series, Catfish Hunter, a Hall of Famer, Sandy Koufax. You can talk about the perfect games amongst Major League Baseball history, and it is kind of a little smorgasbord of all different type of pitchers. And if we're going to take what we call some sanctity that's still left in baseball, now, listen, I've been more open-minded to say, hey, players that have done and used steroids you know, should have records that should be allowed to be kept. Should not have things like that that keep them out of the Hall of Fame because they still accomplished what they did in Major League Baseball. Listen, there's discussion open to that. You could disagree with it. Plenty have. But one of the things that is hard to take away is when a pitcher goes out there and throws a perfect game. I look at the amount of times in baseball history a player has hit four home runs in in a game. That is another thing that, you know what, somebody may do it again, somebody will do it again, but it doesn't happen so often. And once it does happen in the sport, it deserves to be a big deal. Now, I'll close by repeating what I just said. A perfect game has got to be a complete game. Once you bring that second pitcher in a game, it doesn't match up with everything that has been done before. And if Ernie Shore to Babe Ruth, that game that Ruth started, walked the first guy, and Ernie short, shut down 27 in a row, cannot count as a perfect game, which we understand why. Then any game that includes more than one pitcher can no longer be eligible for a perfect game. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew an age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste of smoothness and drinkability. You'll find in no beer. At any cost. So, on, on some positive, you hear that the New York Mets have decided with their alumni association, Jay Horowitz, and the Mets Hall of Fame that they're going to, surprisingly, and I think this is surprisingly because it kind of came out of nowhere. There was no speculation about this. They've announced that the Mets are going to retire Jerry Kuzman's number 36 sometime in the 2020 season. Now, it hasn't been spoken about. Because it's something that was never really brought up to the table for discussion. There's been talk about David Wright's number five going up. And in a little bit, I'll talk about some players that I don't think are getting enough credit. And when it's all said and done, if you want to open up the Mets Raptors on the top of Citi Field and retire as many numbers as you know were impactful during the history of the franchise of the New York Mets and honor more players. These are the players that whose numbers should be up there and retire. Now, Jerry Kuzman, the winningest left-hand pitcher in the history of the New York Mets franchise, certainly an integral part of the 1969 World Series championship team, obviously 50th anniversary this year. It was Tom Seaver, and Tom Seaver was a legend, a Hall of Famer, one of the best pitchers Of his era, let alone, you know, if you think about baseball history, he may have been one of the top pitchers in baseball history. But certainly, of the last 50 or 60 years, he put up numbers that were very hard to duplicate. He led that staff. He was the legend. He is the franchise. That's why that's his nickname. Tom Seaver is at a level by himself. But what Jerry Kuzman meant to the New York Mets for the time that he played there. Even up towards the end, when he was pitching for a bad Mets team in the late 70s that seemed to get rid of everybody else, but kept Jerry Kuzman around to go 3-20 and in the 1978 season before he was traded February of uh, 1979 in a deal that ironically included World Series hero Jesse Orozco. And we say World Series hero... Not because of the amount of runs that he gave up in the playoffs, and the fact that he gave up the Billy Hatcher home run, he gave up the you know you know uh, important runs that could have lost Game Six in the 1986 NLCS, but he was on the mound for Game Seven of the 1986 World Series. He was on the mound in a spot where the Mets had the opportunity to clinch and win the World Series, and it will forever be seen. And maybe forever in my lifetime, the last time the Mets won a World Series championship is with Jesse Orozco striking out Marty Barrett and being on the mound. So Jesse Orosco was acquired by the Mets in 1979 in a deal that sent Jerry Kuzman to the Minnesota Twins. Now, Jerry Kuzman certainly, as you think of the history of the New York Mets franchise, deserves the honor that he got. So his 36 is going to go up sometime next year. You would expect probably sometime in 2021, David Wright's number five to go up there, even though there has been no formal announcement. There won't be as long as Wright is technically under contract with the New York Mets. Now think of some other numbers that should go up there. And I'll I'll talk about three different reasons why the Mets should embrace some of its history. Three different reasons why you should talk about what has happened over the course of the last 57 going into 58 years of the franchise. And we talk about the connection that the New York Mets have as a baseball team to National League Baseball that existed prior to 1962. In other words, National League Baseball that existed up through 1958, which included two teams, the New York Giants and the Brooklyn Dodgers. And that diehard sports fan, or that diehard National League Baseball fan at that time Will think of what they remembered when they were rooting for the Dodgers and rooting for the Giants in the 1950s. Obviously, time has gone by. We're in the year of 2019. So those fans that remember baseball passionately in that time are you know, probably my grandfather. In some cases, other people's fathers and mothers. And family members that were around and watching baseball live in the 1950s and before 1950s. But... What we know is that the Mets, who were brought into the National League in 1962, were meant to be kind of a combination of National League baseball that existed before it. The orange that exists was there for the New York Giants. The blue was for the Brooklyn Dodgers. You put them together, and whether you want to say, Hey, you know what? Those franchises exist. They're now in Los Angeles and San Francisco, respectively. There was a good part of the history of those franchises that existed that still resonate in the city of New York. And if you think about two players, or one player, that probably doesn't get enough credit because he's his ties to the New York Mets aren't there, is a player that's already being honored by the New York Mets in their franchise. And that, of course, is Willie Mays. And you could talk about Willie Mays and you could say that, hey, he was only a Met. For and obviously no pun intended by "hey" in there, that little interjection word was not meant to say "hey," but say "hey," Willie Mates. He was acquired by the Mets in 1962. Finished off his. I'm sorry, 1972 was part of the Mets' uh, nationally pennant-winning team in 1973. Retired after that. So his impact on the New York Mets as a franchise is it, not going to be remembered as that. He was a New York Giant first, and he was a San Francisco Giant. He was a San Francisco Giant longer than he was a New York Giant, but he means a lot in the state of New York, in the city of New York, and will be forever revered in New York sports history. And the Mets know that because the Mets have seldom been willing and able to give out his number 24. He, he wore it in 1972 and 1973, but of course it was his number that he had throughout his entire career with the New York and San Francisco Giants. And after he retired, it was given out just a couple times. Uh, one time mistakenly for Calvin Torvey in spring training. Another time for Ricky Henderson, because that's a number that he wore, and he wore it to uh, you know kind of remember Willie Mays. And then the same thing for Robinson Cano, who is currently wearing number 24, but he's doing it as a tribute for Willie Mays. So his number 24, which the Mets are not choosing to issue or very seldom going to be willing to issue, should probably go up there, but not up there to remember Willie Mays as far as what he did with the New York Mets in his season plus that he was there, but for what Willie Mays means for New York sports history, New York baseball history, and National League New York baseball history, which we know can only be traced back to 1962 with the New York Mets. So there should be no reason why Willie Mays's number 24 shouldn't be retired by the New York Mets. And another player whose number is being withheld and not issued out to other members of the team is Gary Carter's number eight. And it is obviously being held back because the Mets, for whatever reason, have have decided that they're not going to retire it. I said before, and you could talk about Gary Carter's qualifications and what he did as a Met. You can talk about what he meant for that franchise and the fact that he made it into baseball's Hall of Fame. Had about three seasons that were really Hall of Fame worthy with the New York Mets. His last couple weren't so good. You know, he left as a free agent after the 1989 season, played three more seasons in Major League Baseball, spent more time, probably had more success of his career wearing the Montreal Expos uniform than he ever did with the New York Mets, but the Mets as a franchise have appreciated what he meant to that team. Uh, maybe his sudden and, uh, you know, obviously way before time passing may have something to do with it. But the bottom line is the Mets have gone out of their way to not issue number eight out, as we'll hit what we'll call the halfway point here in the Passball Show. Passball Show brought to you by johnpaley.com by two ways, one passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, by St. Aloysius Church and School, in Jackson, New Jersey. So Gary Carter's number eight, not issued. Nobody into the Mets in a long time. Um, got a couple comments, which we'll get into in a little bit. Marat, TE64401, has joined. has got a couple things to say. We'll see if we can make any sense of it in a minute as soon as we finish the point on Gary Carter here. Gary Carter's numbers, similar to Willie Mays's probably weren't the best of his career. Gary Carter, three good seasons with the Mets, is going to be known, went into the Hall of Fame with a Montreal Expos cap, or should have, yet his number is not being issued. You either issue it, to other players on a team, or put it up there, retire it, right next to Willie Mays' 24. So the next category, I think, are players that were very integral parts of the New York Mets teams in the 1980s. You hear the clamoring for Keith Hernandez. I have no issue with Keith Hernandez's number 17 going up there and being retired. But two players that aren't getting enough credit for the impact that they had on the franchise. And I think a lot of it has to do with sour grapes and the way they ended up leaving the Mets. And, you know, some positive moments that they had wearing the New York Yankees uniforms. And, of course, I'm talking about Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry. Nobody had a higher winning percentage in the first 10 years of his career as Dwight Gooden. Dwight Gooden was on path to be a Hall of Fame pitcher. What he did with the New York Mets by itself was just as important as what Jerry Kuzman did for the New York Mets. And any pitcher he could talk about not named Tom Seaver that pitched before or after him, Darryl Strawberry was that homegrown power hitter that the Mets have been dying to have in the history of their franchise. Put up nothing but power numbers. May not have left on best terms. Took a big deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Obviously, his career went down the tubes for many different reasons. Reemerged with the New York Yankees. I understand Mets fans... We're, are, are probably still a little bit bitter as more time goes on. There's probably less and less bitterness, but certainly bitterness that existed in the 1990s when both Dallas Strawberry and later Dwight Gooden left the New York Mets and ended up joining the New York Yankees. But if you're retiring Keith's number 17, you've got to retire Doc's number 16. You've got to retire Strawberry's number 18. And the thing that has been the most, I, I don't know, angering or frustrating about this whole process is how many players have you seen the Mets give number 16, 17, and 18, too? It's like Keith never played for the Mets. It's like Doc and Straw never played for the Mets. If you're going to talk about all-time greats when it comes to the history of the franchise of the New York Mets, you've got to talk about Keith Hernandez and Dwight Gooden and Darryl Strawberry, and there's not enough discussion about it. There's some discussion about Keith, but nowhere near as much about Strawberry and about Gooden that should be. And the final player that I think the Mets, if they decide to open it up and talk about honoring all the top players that ever played for the New York Mets in their franchise in their history, number 15's got to go out there. And it's got to go out there to honor Carlos Beltran. Now, Carlos Beltran, you're going to talk about, you know, game seven of the 2006 NLCS, the Adam Wainwright curveball maybe the injury in 2010 when he came back and he wasn't really healthy, yada, yada, yada. Carlos Beltran was an all-time Met. There were very few players offensively that did what Carlos Beltran did. He played a premium position. He played it very well for the majority of the seven seasons he was with the New York Mets. You think of the elite sluggers and top overall all-around players that the New York Mets have ever had, you'd be a fool not to include Carlos Beltran In there and put his name towards the top his number 15 needs to go up there so 24 8 16 17 18 15 and of course 5 for David Wright so we're talking about a total of another seven numbers that very well could be going up to the Raptors in around the city field that weren't up there before if the Mets alumni led by Jay Horowitz decide to start retiring numbers So, te 6400 and 401, number one pop music international, wants to say that he or she is a Hollywood star, that's fantastic. Great contributions to the program. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. Castrol engineered for today's smaller cars. I do want to get into some tweets because I think that's something that is very big to me, and I do want to close the show with that today. Um, We're going to talk about something and limit the time that we talk about our NFL picks right, right now as we get into week four of the National Football League. Last week, we ended up going three and two. We're going to end up moving uh, up a little bit. We're going to get into, like I said, the picks really fast. Get them done. New York Giants, great performance by Daniel Jones last week. They go home to play the Washington Redskins. Giants favorited by three. Redskins are kind of struggling. And um, I'm having a hard time seeing them come up with a big performance. I think the Giants will build a little momentum from last week. Give me mean, the Giants minus three at home against the Washington Redskins. Game number two. Carolina Panthers, good performance by Kyle Allen last week. I think it's going to be interesting to see what type of quarterback he is down the road. But Carolina is going on a road against the Houston team that really has the—I feel—has the ability to start running away with the AFC South. It's always a competitive division. You got the Colts, you got the Jaguars, you got the Titans in there. All those teams play each other really well. But a win here by the Texans can put a little space between them and some of the other teams in the division. Give me Houston minus four and a half at home against the Carolina Panthers. The New England Patriots traveling to Buffalo. The three and zero New England Patriots against the three and zero Buffalo Bills. Now I think I, I was giving them Bills a little bit of love last week. Best team in New York. It may be. It may not be. Of course, we're not talking about New York City. We're talking about New York State. I think the Bills are going to be in for, I think they could be in a mix for a playoff spot. I think it could be one of those teams we're talking about that could be in a position to get a wild card spot. you got the Patriots who are really showing one thing, and I know their opponents have not been that strong. They haven't gone up against a really good team. Maybe we thought the Steelers were a little bit better than they are, but obviously the Patriots wiped the field with them. I think they're going to do the same thing to the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills are going to take that punch to the sternum, that kick to the gut. And I like the line in this game. So give me New England minus 7 at Buffalo. Next game, we got the Minnesota Vikings. So been a little up and down. I like the Vikings to win the NFC North. But I don't like them this week against the Chicago Bears. The Chicago Bears, their defense really stepped up last week. I like what we saw when they were playing the Washington Redskins on Monday night. I think they're going to continue a lot of that energy. A little bit of a shorter week because they played Monday night. But a big game, a big game for them to make a statement. I like them at home, minus 2.5 against the Minnesota Vikings. Finally, Jacksonville is traveling to Denver. I think the Denver Broncos, in spite of a little bit of a good defense, I think their defense is still all right. you got... You know, you got Chubb there. You got uh, Bob Miller. I think they can stop you. I don't like their offense, and I don't like their team this year. Give me Jacksonville plus three at Denver against the Broncos in mile high. A little bit of recap of the PBS picks. Giants minus three at home against the Redskins. Houston minus four and a half at home against Carolina. New England minus seven at Buffalo. Chicago minus two and a half at home against the Vikings and the Jacksonville Jaguars, plus three at Denver. This is the past Ball show, brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And now is the time, where we're gonna get into a segment of the show we like to call Nobody's Listening. I don't have the music, so we're not gonna pot it up, I don't care about the music, but I was thinking about this the other day, and. We could have conversations with younger people and younger generations, whether it's our kids or our grandchildren, whether you know you're an adult, you could talk about a person that from a demographic and a society standpoint may be a little different than you, but most importantly, we're talking about a difference in generations and a difference of ages. So we talk about things that are not so great when we talk about the differences between now and 20 years ago, the difference between 20 years ago and 40 years ago, a lot of stuff was different, but one of the things that we really feel like we're kind of losing right now, and I believe wholeheartedly and very strongly about this, is that we can talk about, we can make the most bonafide fact, we can back it up with other facts that make our statement completely true, and then we can talk about the ability to twist and take any fact and make it into an opinion. Now, we try to research our facts when we put them out there. You could say that, hey, the player that hit the most home runs in Major League Baseball history in single season was Barry Bonds. The player that has the most hits in all of Major League Baseball history, we could say, is Pete Rose. We could talk about Ichiro having more hits in a single season than anybody in the history of Major League Baseball. Now we're getting to a point where we can take information and we can twist it and turn it to say, hey, That may be true, but this. And this is being used to unsubstantiate anything that was a fact. And I'm going to bring up kind of some uh, summaries of some tweets that I've seen over the last week. And it's kind of frustrated me because I'm bringing up, I brought up in a tweet the other day, the finalists that exist in Major League Baseball eliminating it to just three players can make it very difficult for anybody else that's not amongst the three to win an individual award. It used to be, hey, the most valuable player is amongst anybody in the league. The Cy Young is amongst any pitcher in the league. The rookie of the year is amongst any rookie in the league. Now it's limited down to three players. And the voters are basically told, hey, you can either vote for one, two, or three. You can't vote for anybody else. That is keeping the discussion that we could have when we talk about these individual awards at the end of every season. So a comment that throws out, that decides to discredit the pitcher in the National League that could be the fourth in contention for Cy Young, Jack Flaherty of the St. Louis Cardinals, or that person that decides to discredit J.D. Martinez, who was the fourth best player, according to the Major League Baseball finalists, was not included amongst the finalists, doesn't necessarily prove my point wrong. It just basically takes a twist and turn of it and doesn't address the issue that we're talking about. The issue that I'm talking about is three finalists for each one of the Major League Baseball awards is stupid. That's the thing that you should address with me. Don't make some sideways point to discredit something else. Address the freaking question. And in the other one I was talking about, Sny who we want to say is the home of New York sports. It's the home of New York sports more than it is the home of the New York Mets. And somebody wants to go out there and say, oh, well, you know, the Yankees have Nets games on. No, but when it comes to baseball, they focus on the New York Yankees and nobody else. Once again, does SNY invest more in New York sports or the New York Mets? The answer is it invests and cares more about New York sports. Instead of answering the question and combating the question, you decide to throw out independent facts that have nothing to do with what it is that I'm saying. Three finalists in Major League Baseball for each one of these awards is stupid. SNY cares more about New York sports than it does the New York Mets. Those are facts. If you're going to dispute the statement, dispute the facts. Don't twist little things to try to discredit other things to make your point. Address the freaking question. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Past fall Show. As always, a little bit of a recap of the show today. Uh, NFL picks. They'll be up on JohnPLA.com. Week number four, Mickey Calloway and Gabe Kapler. You heard it here first. They're coming back. They're both going to be back with their respective clubs next year. I don't know it, but I'm telling you, you heard it here first, and you heard reasons why the Major League Baseball manager is not the scapegoat. If it's not viewed that way within the organization, if it's all about a collaborative effort that exists amongst all the different people that are involved in the decision-making process, Both of those managers will be back this year. A perfect game, in order to have a perfect game in Major League Baseball, it needs to be one pitcher throwing a complete game. If not, it can't be a perfect game. Jerry Kuzman's number 36. Congratulations to Jerry. He's been a guest on this show before. Really nice and humble man. Certainly deserved. Does this open Pandora's box for other players' numbers to be retired by the New York Mets at Citi Field? We'll find out over the course of time. This is the Past Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by Two A's, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. We'll be back with you next week. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. <laughs>